The Fifth Step, Patriarch, An Age of Influence and Relevance, from Stepping Up, A Call to Courageous Manhood by Dennis Rainey. Chapter 21, Left Behind. Mountaineering tends to draw men and women not easily deflected from their goals. Unfortunately, the sort of individual who is programmed to ignore personal distress and keep pushing for the top is frequently programmed to disregard signs of grave and imminent danger as well. This forms the nub of a dilemma every Everest climber eventually comes up against. In order to succeed, you must be exceedingly driven. But if you're too driven, you're likely to die. Thus, the slopes of Everest are littered with corpses. John Krakauer, from his book, Into Thin Air. When Beck Weathers opened his eyes, he thought he was safe and warm in his bed at home. But then, after he looked at his right hand, a gray and lifeless thing, as he described it, he realized it was frozen solid. He knew this wasn't Texas. He was lying alone in the snow in a howling wind at 26,000 feet on Mount Everest. He realized he'd been left behind by his fellow climbers. They must have thought he was dead. He thought about his wife and two children. They were so clear in his mind as if he could touch them. And he had what he called an epiphany. I knew at that instant with absolute clarity that if I did not stand at once, I would spend an eternity on that spot. Beck Weathers wasn't ready to die. Weathers, a pathologist and an enthusiastic mountaineer, was part of a group of 15 climbers who had set out a day earlier to reach the top of Mount Everest. They started out in the middle of the morning, the first of three groups attempting the summit on that day, May 10th, 1996. The temperature was well below zero, and the stars shined so brightly that the climbers could see their reflections in the ice. It was a perfect day for climbing. On mountains like Everest, the descent is often more dangerous than the climb. Their goal was to reach the summit by 2 p.m. at the latest, allowing them enough time, energy, and bottled oxygen to return to their camp by dark. Just a year before, group leader Rob Hall had decided to turn his clients around before the summit when he saw they didn't have enough time to ensure a safe descent. Weathers had trained well for this adventure and was in fine physical condition, but he ran into an unexpected problem. His eyesight began to fail. It was a high-altitude side effect from eye surgery he'd undergone 18 months before to improve his sight. He thought things would improve with daylight, but they didn't. At 7.30 in the morning, Hall told him he couldn't continue if his vision didn't improve and it was too dangerous to descend by himself to camp. Hall made Weathers promise to wait at that spot until he returned in a few hours. That was the last Beck Weathers ever saw of Hall. At noon, three members of the group came by, reporting that they had turned back because the three climbing groups had caused such a traffic jam that they decided they wouldn't be able to reach the summit in time. They urged Weathers to go down with them, 
but Weathers had committed to Hall and felt he needed to stay. Weathers later learned that Hall had unwisely allowed several in the group to continue on to the summit despite the delays. Hall and one client didn't leave the summit until nearly 4 p.m. Meanwhile, Weathers was down below, still waiting, barely able to see. More members of his group returned and reported that Hall was hours behind. So after waiting for more than 10 hours, Weathers joined them on the descent. Because he couldn't see, he was short-roped. Another climber tied a rope around Weathers' waist and then around his own, and then stayed above Beck on the descent. Several times, Weathers took a step into thin air, and the rope saved him. Then, an unexpected blizzard hit. Complete with thunder, driving snow and winds up to 70 miles per hour. The climbers quickly lost their sense of direction. One later said that it was like being lost in a bottle of milk. Weathers' right hand began getting cold, so he took off his first two layers of gloves to warm his hand against his chest. But it was so cold that the skin on his hand and arm instantly froze. Then he lost the gloves to the wind. By midnight, the climbers were still lost. Then the weather cleared enough for them to briefly get their bearings and determine that the camp was a few hundred yards away. Weathers and the three others were totally spent, and they realized their lives depended on someone getting back to the camp and sending help. They stayed behind along with a healthier climber who looked after them. Sleep was our deadliest enemy, Weathers later wrote. Every mountaineer knows that if you allow yourself to be taken down by that cold, it is a one-way ticket to death. There are no exceptions. Your core temperature plunges until your heart stops. So we yelled at each other and hit each other and kicked each other. Anything to remain awake. Despite these efforts, Weathers and another climber, Yasuko Namba, begin to drift into a comatose state as the storm continued to howl through the night. Their condition deteriorated to the point that when the others were finally rescued, they were left behind. As one climber said, by then I assumed Yasuko was dead and Beck was a lost cause. The exhausted survivors back at camp actually had a much larger problem. Many more climbers besides Yasuko and Beck were missing. The storm had trapped an unprecedented number of climbers on the mountain. When the sun rose again, rescuers set out to find the missing. One group came across Namba and Weathers where they'd been left behind on the trail. Both bodies were partially buried, one of them said later. Their faces and torsos were covered with snow. Only their hands and feet were sticking out. The wind was just screaming. They were stunned to discover that Weathers and Namba were still alive. But Weathers, one of the rescuers said, 
was as close to death as a person can be and still breathing. Once again, they decided to leave Namba and Weathers behind because they were so close to death. In an emergency situation like this, with other climbers to rescue, it was important for the rescuers to conserve their energy for those who had the best chance to survive. Weathers remained exposed to the elements for several more hours. And then, in his words, a miracle occurred. I opened my eyes, he said. Once he realized where he was and determined that he was not ready to die, he forced himself to stand and began heading toward camp. Both my hands were completely frozen. My face was destroyed by the cold. I was profoundly hypothermic. I had not eaten in three days or taken water for two days. I was lost and I was almost completely blind. You cannot sweat that small stuff, I said to myself. You have to focus on that which must be done and do that thing. He kept on falling and getting back up. He knew he needed to reach the camp by sundown or he was doomed. Yet to his surprise, that prospect didn't frighten him. Weathers writes, I am not a particularly brave individual, and I would have expected myself to be terrified as I came to grips with that moment. But that was not what I felt at all. No, I was overwhelmed by an enormous, encompassing sense of melancholy, that I would never again say I love you to my wife, that I would never again hold my children. All of that was just not acceptable. At 4.30 p.m., Weathers finally reached the camp. The other climbers were shocked to see him risen from the dead. I couldn't believe what I saw, one said later. This man had no face. It was completely black, solid black, like he had a crust over him. His jacket was unzipped down to his waist full of snow. His right arm was bare and frozen over his head. We could not lower it. His skin looked like marble, white stone, no blood in it. Weathers was put in a tent, wrapped inside two sleeping bags with several hot water bottles and given an oxygen mask. Remember, all of this was occurring at an elevation of 26,000 feet? His fellow climbers were convinced he wouldn't last another night. Indeed, as darkness fell, a worse storm ripped across the mountain. The winds flattened the tent and ripped both sleeping bags away. Once again, he was exposed to the wind and sub-zero temperatures for an entire night. When Weathers heard the other climbers packing up to leave the camp the next morning, he called out, Hello? Anybody out there? To everyone's amazement, Weathers was still alive. He received medical treatment and responded so well that, with help, he was able to walk most of the way to the next two camps farther down the mountain. At one point, he said, They told me this trip was going to cost me an arm and a leg. So far, I've gotten a little better deal. Eventually, he was airlifted out by helicopter.
The survival of Beck Weathers was one of the few happy endings on the deadliest day in the history of Mount Everest. Eight climbers perished, including group leader Rob Hall and Yasuko Namba, who had been left behind with Weathers but never woke from her coma. Severe frostbite took its toll on Weathers, who had his right arm amputated below the elbow and lost all the fingers on his left hand. His nose was also amputated and reconstructed. Today, Weathers continues his practice as a doctor, but he is also an inspirational speaker. He tells audiences about his years of looking for meaning by climbing mountains and his epiphany when he rose from the dead high on Mount Everest. He said, I searched all over the world for that which would fulfill me, and all along it was in my own backyard. His experience is one of my favorite tales of courage, and I also think it's a powerful metaphor for men as they enter the last laps of life. As I've met with men across the country, I've found that once they reach their 60s and 70s, they begin to feel just as left behind as Beckweathers. Many begin to feel useless as if their families, their churches, and their communities no longer need them. Some lose their vision, become passive, and stop acting like men. They think their years of impact and accomplishment are over. Yet the scriptures paint a different picture of this stage of life. It's a time when a man can perhaps have his greatest influence, but he must be willing to courageously step up if he doesn't want to be left behind. <laughs>